Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Visit the Vendor Process Training Center to enroll in your choice of 55 plus training sessions that will help you and your team avoid fraud, compliance fines, and bad vendor data. Or just sign up to get access to Vendor Process FAQs and to attend weekly drop-in live Q&A sessions. Visit training.deborahrrichardson.com today. The link will be in the show notes. So you receive a vendor request to change banking. It's coming in email from the actual vendor's email address. So you make the change, make the payment, but then find out that the payment went to a fraudulent account. The vendor didn't request a change. Instead, the fraudster requested the change from within the vendor's actual email account. Who takes the loss? Keep listening. Welcome to episode 225, Two Fraudulent Payment Cases, Where the Vendor Took the Loss. I actually have two cases that were both published or posts or articles that were both published on January 30th, 2023. But I had a uh, call from a vendor like three years ago, and I never heard from them again, but the vendor said that the same exact thing happened to them where a fraudster was in their email account, sent a request to one of their clients or buyers and asked them to change the banking account. They made the change to the banking account and they paid the vendor's payment to the froster. And so the vendor, of course, went back to the client, in this case, it would be you or the buyer, and asked to be made whole because they paid the payment to a wrong account. They changed the account without his permission. The stance, however, that the buyer took or the client took was, we received a an email from your real account and it requested a change of banking. And so we made the change and we paid the account that was indicated in the email that came from your real email account. And it's up to you now to figure out how to get that money back. We're not going to make you whole because we made a change based on a request from a real email. That at that point was the first time that I had heard of buyers or clients or companies not making vendors whole when they made a change to banking, right? And so the, I guess the uh, current 
assumption is that if you make a fraudulent payment, then you'll keep the vendor whole because you're just going to go ahead and uh, request uh, your insurance company um, cover that as part of your insurance policy. I'm assuming that's what you guys are doing because it doesn't seem to be like it's really urgent for leadership to put like processes in place in order to prevent it, especially putting something more in place than that confirmation call. But I could be wrong. Uh, but I will tell you that since that first like shocking telephone call with that one vendor. I am seeing that more and more. And so I thought this would be a good episode for the two that I found uh, recently where the same thing happened. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about the two. So we're going to start with one. And this one is probably more of a consumer thing, but it's the same, it's the same uh, plot, right? So this one came from uh, the nzherald.co.nz, and I'll put a link to the article, um, but it looks like it came from New Zealand. But in any event, the name of the article is Hackers Intercept Carpet Companies Emails and Retains Customers $5,000 Deposit. And so it goes on to say that a hacker intercepted a carpet company's emails and conned a woman into paying her $5,000 deposit for new flooring to a bogus bank account. Um, but the company, which went ahead and laid the carpet, has now lost out after a small claims court ruled it must absorb the missing funds. So this is in small claims court. And I think the other one that I have is in a higher court. But in any event, the small claims court ruled in her favor. And in this case, the woman, I would say, is the buyer. So the client, or in this case, you. And the carpet, uh, uh, carpet company is the vendor. And so the vendors or the carpet company's email they found out was compromised and the fraudsters were intercepting emails from this woman that they were doing back and forth to uh, get her to you know, pay these new payment details, her deposit to the new payment details. Uh, and that's another thing that they're doing. I actually do have a... Uh, a vendor master file tip of the week where I'm talking about a tip on how to know if uh, fraudsters are in your account, right? Have hacked your account. So this is where they will go in and they will change the rules so that the email subject lines, they'll have them forwarded to uh, another uh, email address, their own email address, so they can interact with uh, the victims or in this case with um, the lady that was, or the client customer that was having the carpet installed. And so one of the tips is to uh, just on a daily basis, go in and check your email rules and make sure that your uh, email rules have not been changed uh, or none have been added because that's how they can get away with being in your account and sending emails that you never see. 
So anyway, that's what happened here. And so the judge uh, deemed that uh, it was the fault of the vendor or the carpet company. And so they ended up uh, taking that loss. It was only 50%. So they did get 50% uh, of the total cost, but it was just 50%. They had to lay the carpet with what um, she paid um, both to the froster and also uh, to them because they found out about it. I think it took them like five days. Now, I do want to point out that they did indicate in the article that the law regarding who should bear the loss in fraud cases, similar to that case uh, in question, was not clear and was still developing. But it does mean that could rule in your favor if you made a change to a vendor's banking that came from their actual email account. And again, this is in New Zealand. Um, I don't know what U.S. law is, and maybe it's at a state level too, but maybe when we get into the second one, which I do believe is in the U.S., we will find out. So I will put a link to this article in the show notes, and you can check it out and read more information on it if you are interested. Okay, so this second one, it's posted on Clark Hill's website and Clark Hill, or the article is titled Clark Hill uh, successfully represents steel building manufacturer in business email compromise case. And this one is in the US. And the article talks about um, Clark Hill cybersecurity attorneys, uh, Shirak H. Patel and Mariah V. Jaworski successfully represented the Studco Building Systems US LLC in a business email compromise let, uh, matter. So they do say that the results follows a first of its kind trial in which the client sought compensation from the financial institution that played a role in the loss as opposed to the electronic fraudsters. Now, the amount in question here was $558,000. And that is the amount that the client uh, ended up sending to the fraudulent account at the uh, credit union. So let's get into what they say here. So The case stemmed from a series of events following an email the client received that appeared to be from one of its vendors, but in reality was from the fraudsters who had previously gained access to the client's email systems through a phishing attack. And so the email of course, provided new instructions to the client to pay the vendor through a credit union in Virginia. Now, the scammers had or hired an assistant whose job it was to set up a personal account at that credit union, and the client unknowingly began to make payments to the assistant's account when they believed the money was going to the vendor. So the assistant in this case could be, you know, anyone, right? Uh, We hear about romance scams all the time. And so that's a lot of times how these fraudsters get them to create these accounts, uh, open these accounts, or maybe use their own personal account. But in any event, um, the client hadn't discovered the, the fraudulent payment when 
uh, the vendor started asking where their payments were. And that's usually how the clients discover it or how um, uh, subscribers and my clients and, and attendees at my webinars, how they discover fraud is the vendor calls and or emails and ask where their payments were, where uh, they have on record that they sent the payment. So the crux of this whole thing is, is that the lawyers, cybersecurity lawyers pointed out that the assistant had two accounts with the credit union previously, and those accounts rarely ever had more than $500,000 in them. And so they said that when six-figure transactions or transfers began arriving, that the credit union should have flagged the transactions through its alert system. And so that didn't happen. And had that happened, they would have been alerted and they would not have uh, continued to transfer funds. Okay, so I stand corrected. There was one case where uh, the vendor absorbed the loss. And then there was another case where the uh, credit union or the financial institution where the payment was made absorbed the loss. Now, the common denominator is, is that the client, the buyer, the uh, uh, you, right, did not absorb the loss. It was someone else. So this is all I'm saying here is that it may not be a foregone conclusion that if you make a fraudulent payment to a vendor, that it has to be, uh, you have to make the vendor whole. And I know that's not a decision that you can make, you could probably make right in uh, accounts payable within the vendor team, but it's certainly something that your leadership uh, should be looking into. And so uh, in case that does happen and they do come back and say that you will not be surprised or maybe you can bring this to their intention and then uh, see what happens after that. And your leaders may, again, already be thinking about it anyway, because insurance coverages for, right, um, cybersecurity for business email compromise loss, that coverage is getting expensive and it's also changing. And so instead of looking to insurance to cover fraudulent payments, maybe they're looking at alternate ways as well. And so maybe there will be a day where when you make a fraudulent payment, if the uh, loss is due to the vendor's emails being hacked or other criteria or reasons that put the onus on the vendor, then maybe you won't make that vendor whole. All right, so I hope that's food for thought. And again, I will have the links to those articles in the show notes. So thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 225th episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy. Stay happy.